well, now the time's come, Helen. <laughs> Helen's going to bring to us our Bible reading from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 9, verses 1 to 13. Page 220 in your pew Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 9, reading the 13 verses. David said, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of God's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? Your servant, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? the king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machiah, son of Amiel in Lodibar. So King David had him brought from Lodibar, from the house of Machiah, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honour. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul and you will also eat and always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should, not, that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. <laughs> I got through six, Martin. Well done, well done. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and he was crippled in both feet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well done, Helen. <laughs> Father God, we pray that you would speak to us from these words and that people with strange names might be relevant to us today. Help us to understand this story in the context of our own lives, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I read an interesting story about a man by the name of Fiorello Lagardia, and he was the mayor of New York during the worst days of the Great Depression and all the way through World War II. 
And the adoring New Yorkers used to call him the little, little flower because the mayor himself, he was only five foot four tall, and he always wore a uh, carnation in the lapel of his jacket. He was a very colourful kind of character. He used to ride around on the New York City fire trucks. He would accompany the uh, police on raids for uh, unlicensed premises. He would take entire orphanages to baseball games. And whenever the New York newspapers were on strike, he would go on radio and read the uh, Sunday comics to the kids. So he's quite a character. One bitterly cold night in January 1935, this mayor, he turned up at, at a night court in one of the poorest areas of the city. And Lagardia, he dismissed the judge and he took over the bench himself. Within a few minutes, a tattered old woman was brought before him, charged with stealing a loaf of bread. She told Lagardia that her daughter's husband had deserted her, her daughter was sick, and her two grandchildren were starving to death. Now, the shopkeeper from whom the bread was stolen, he refused to drop the charges. He said, it's a real bad neighbourhood, Your Honour, the man says to the mayor, and he says, she's got to be punished to teach other people here a lesson. So Lagardia, he sighed. He turns to the woman and he said, I've got to punish you. The law makes no exceptions. Ten dollars or ten days in jail. But even as he pronounced the sentence, the mayor was already reaching into his pocket. He extracted a bill from his wallet. He tossed it into his famous sombrero that he used to wear. And he said, here's the $10 fine, which I now remit. And furthermore, I'm going to fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so that their grandchildren can eat. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to the, to the defendant. This poor little grandmother, she leaves the courtroom with $47.50 in her pocket. 50 cents of which came from the red-faced grocery store owner. <laughs> Around the courtroom, there were some 70 petty criminals, people charged with traffic violations, New York City policemen, each one of whom had paid 50 cents for the privilege of being there. And they gave the mayor a standing ovation. I think that's the very essence, that story, it gives us the very essence of God's saving grace. Because God recognises our wretched condition, he pays our debt, and he gives us more than we ever could have imagined. This passage, which Helen so bravely read for us this morning, is also a clear portrait in the Old Testament of God's grace. It shows us very much about God's grace, because God uses David and Mephibosheth as a living canvas upon which he, he paints an illustration of what grace is all about. And in this text, David, he rescues a man from a hopeless situation, and he forever changes his life. So let's have a look at it. Let's see how grace is extended. The first five verses of our reading. David asked, is there anyone still left from the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Sir? Let's have a look what's happening here. What is the reason for, for David to extend grace? First of all, David says that he wants to show someone from the family of Saul kindness. Why? For Jonathan's sake. And that word kindness is also translated in other places as goodness, mercy, favor, and loving kindness. So it's the Old Testament word for grace, isn't it? That's really what we're seeing here. And grace is often defined as the unmerited love and favor of God towards the undeserving. 
Grace is one person accepting another person in a positive manner in spite of the unworthiness of the person being accepted. So David's desire to extend grace to a member of Saul's family, it's amazing. Because what happens usually is when the new king comes to power, he slaughters the old king's family. Why does he do that? So none of them would rise up to threaten him. Very logical. I'd do the same. <laughs> so David has the right to execute judgment. But what does he do? He chooses instead to demonstrate grace. And David does this not because the house of Saul deserves it. He does it for two reasons. He does it, first of all, because of his relationship with Jonathan. And if you remember the Old Testament, Jonathan was the son of Saul and he was David's best friend. They were great mates together. They were closer than brothers, these two. And he also did it because of two promises that he made many years before. David promised both Jonathan and King Saul that when David rose to power, he wouldn't entirely wipe out their families. So this grace is extended to someone because of someone else. That's the nature of grace. Because God, he also extends his grace to all the descendants of Adam. That's us. Not because we deserve grace or God's love or God's mercy. We deserve judgment. We deserve damnation. We deserve hell, if you really look at it. Yet God extends his amazing grace because of another. God reaches out to the falling, to the fallen, depraved sinners of the world. Why? Because he loves his son, Jesus Christ. And because Jesus died for us on the cross. We have nothing, brothers and sisters, we have nothing to merit us to God. But because of God's son, Jesus, we can experience God's grace. No wonder it's called amazing grace. Yes? Have a look at the, the reach of this grace. When David decides to extend grace, he does this extension without any limits. He says, is there anyone, is there anyone left from the house of Saul? Now, the house of Saul was the house of David's predecessor. Saul was David's enemy, right? Saul wanted to kill David. You remember the Old Testament stories? But that didn't matter to David. David places absolutely no limits on his grace. He's willing to extend his grace to any member that's left of the house of Saul. David wasn't looking for people with any certain criteria. He wasn't looking for people who were soldiers or intellectuals or who possessed certain abilities. It was anyone, any person. Is there anyone left from this household? That person or those people will be a candidate for David's grace. That shows us God's grace as well, because God's grace has no boundaries. God extends his grace to all people, regardless of their pasts, their race, their social standing, or their deeds. God doesn't reach out to save the righteous. He saves sinners. It's amazing. If you've never been saved, you're qualified to be saved. That's all the requirement is. There isn't one, is there? Anyone who wants to be saved can be saved. And where was Mephibosheth when David found him? He was in the house of Machir in a place called Lodabar. This is interesting because both the house and the place describe Mephibosheth's... Mephibosheth, I can't even say it myself now. <laughs> they describe this bloke's condition. Machir 
Makir means sold. Sold. Mephibosheth was sold. He didn't belong. He was sold somewhere else. And Lodabar means a place of no pasture. He's sold out to a miserable place. That's his condition. And Mephibosheth, he was a man injured in a fall. His condition wasn't his own fault. He was the son of royalty. He was crippled. He was unable to seek or get to the king. He's separated from the king. He's hiding. He's, he's afraid. And his name means shameful. This shameful man sold out to a place where there's no pasture. Well, our farmers understand what that's all about today, don't they? So he's in a hopeless condition and he's helpless to do anything about it. When I read that story, I see a picture. This is a picture of a person outside of Christ. This is a picture of a person who's called a sinner in the Bible. A lost person. Like Mephibosheth, the lost person is sold under his sin and he's in a place where there's no hope. He's in a place where he cannot help himself. How's that described in the New Testament? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 says this. Remember that at that time, that's the time before you knew Jesus, at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. Remember, says Paul, there was a time when you were lost, when you were sold out, when you were in a place of no hope and hopeless place. A sinner is a person who's a slave to his passions. Well, you know what that's like, don't you? We're all red-blooded human beings here. And we're sold out to the devil. We're in a place of absolute slavery. So we're in a place of no pasture and no hope. And there's no friends around us to help us. There's no one to hear us when we call out. There's no one to help us shoulder the burdens of life. There's no one to turn to in the dark hours. There's no help for today and there's no hope for tomorrow. Those who are outside of grace, of the grace of God, that's where they are. But God, but God makes us alive in Christ Jesus, doesn't he? Salvation is open to whoever wants to be saved. There are no limits to the people who can come. God's grace is extended to everyone who wants it. If you are a descendant of Adam, that's all of us, by virtue of our first birth, then we are also a candidate for salvation through the second birth that's described in the Bible. And God will not turn you away. God's grace is amazing. That's how I got saved. And that's how you got saved as well. And if you're lost... You don't have to stay lost. No one deserves grace. No one got, deserves to be saved by God. But anyone can have it. That's what makes grace so amazing. Look at the response of grace too. David discovers that one of Jonathan's sons is still living. He hears the news that this man is crippled. And the response of grace is not to ask what kind of a bloke is he? Or how bad has he been crippled? Grace doesn't concern himself with the man's background or his surroundings or his abilities or his appearance or his future potential or anything like that. Grace simply says, where is he? Look at verse 4. King David says, when he finds out about Jonathan's son, he says, where is he? That's his only question. His only question. Grace says, I'm not concerned about his condition. I want him just like he is. Where is he? I'll take him. I'll take him just the way he comes. That's what's so amazing about the grace of God. God doesn't look upon us and concern himself with our crippled spiritual condition. He looks at us through the eyes of grace. He sees us exactly like we are, 
but he loves us in spite of our condition. He knows all about our past. He knows all about our problems. He knows all about the mistakes we're still going to keep on making. And he responds by drawing us to himself anyway. It's amazing to think about that. We need to, we need to be fetched by God before anything else happens. We need to be fetched. Do you remember being fetched by God? Do you remember that, other, that occasion? Do you have a fetching story? It's interesting. Because David says, you know, go and get him, fetch him, bring him to me. It's amazing. Grace fixes its gaze upon us. And here we are, we are the crippled children of Adam. And he just fetches us to himself. That's what grace does. Mephibosheth, he's one of the last survivors of the family of Saul. And if it wasn't for the grace of David demonstrated here, the entire family would soon have vanished away. If it wasn't for the grace of God in our Lord Jesus Christ, no son of Adam, no daughter of Adam would survive. That's us. But all of us would be lost We'd all be lost in our sins. We'd all go to hell for eternity. But God's grace is extended to us, regardless of our condition. It's amazing. So we see how grace is extended. But look at how grace is embraced. It starts in verse, verse 6. We move on. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and he bowed down to pay him honor. And David says, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replies. Don't be afraid, David says to him, for I'll surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I'll restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you'll always eat at my table. This is a wonderful story. Put yourself in Mephibosheth's shoes for a moment. You're one of the few remaining members of the household of Saul. You're living in this place called Lodabar, which means no pasture. You're helpless because you're a cripple. Your life is hopeless. You are poor. You've been that way since you were five. Because when he was five, when... when his father was killed in battle when the horrible news came that Jonathan had been killed. Mephibosheth's nurse tries to flee with Mephibosheth and she drops him. And his feet are crippled. He's broken. He must have been one heck of a drop when you think about that for a moment. Small children bounce pretty well. He didn't. And all of his life, ever since he was a five-year-old boy, he's been warned. David might find you. He lives his whole life in fear and in misery. He doesn't have any access to the, to the wealth of the lands of his family. He's been warned that one day David's going to come for you. Look out. He's the new king. And then you hear the sound of horses and chariots outside the place you're living. And men enter and they say, the king sent for you. Can you imagine the fear and trembling? They load him up, they take him from his home to see the king he's always feared. And after a while, the chariots arrive at the king's palace and Mephibosheth is carried into the king's presence and he arrives and nothing's like he expects. Nothing's like he imagines it because Mephibosheth has now entered into the presence of grace. And notice how he embraces this because Mephibosheth, he embraces grace with a humble heart. I'm your servant, he says. Now he bows down to pay David honour. Mephibosheth is royalty, and yet he bows down to the new king. He's aware, he's a descendant of Saul. He deserves nothing 
but judgment. And this could have been the time where David says, right, off with his head. I found you now. Off with your head, mate. But he humbles himself in the presence of David. And I think he would have embraced the news that David gave him with, with, a, with a happy heart because instead of judgment, Mephibosheth, he experiences tenderness. I believe that when David looked at Mephibosheth, he was actually seeing his best friend Jonathan. He would have seen Jonathan's face in the face of Jonathan's son. And he would have remembered this man that he loved so much. He identifies Mephibosheth with Jonathan. And that's what God does with us. When God looks at us, who does he see? Jesus. He always looks at me with his Jesus glasses on. That's imputation, if you want a theological word. God attributes something else to us. Mephibosheth, he hears David call his name. And to his amazement, David speaks peace to him. He hears as the king promises to restore all of the wealth and the glory that once belonged to the family of Saul to Mephibosheth. And as icing on the cake, Mephibosheth is now invited to eat every day at the king's table. So with a happy heart, Mephibosheth embraces all of these treasures that grace gives to him. But he also embraces this with an incredibly honest heart. Look at verse 8. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? He knows his status. He knows that he's the lowest of the low. In fact, he's a dead one. He's a nothing. He has an honest heart. He's undeserving of love and mercy. But grace has been extended to him and he embraces it in such a way that for Mephibosheth, nothing is ever going to be the same again. Do you remember the first time he came into God's presence? I remember praying and having fear in my heart because I was convicted that I was a sinful person and I knew that God really didn't have to do anything at all for me. I had fear in my heart that day. I had conviction. I knew I was outside of God's kingdom and I knew that my destiny was hell itself and I belonged there. God was right. I know that I deserve nothing but judgment from God. But I remember the day that God called my name. He called me into his presence. And I bowed down and I prayed. Awe, reverence, worship. And when the king spoke, he told me that his wrath directed at my sin, had been turned away by his grace. And he opens his heart and he opened his heaven and he promised to restore to me everything that sin had taken away from me. And if you've ever experienced God's saving grace in your life, you know what that's like, how overwhelming that is. Think back to the day when you as a lost person were brought by the Spirit of God into the presence of God. Do you remember the fear? Do you remember the dread? Because I felt it. And I remember God speaking peace to my heart. I remember that I came into his presence with nothing and I left with everything. That great, wonderful, matchless, glorious Savior named Jesus Christ revealed himself to me. 
And when you're embraced by the grace of God, everything changes. No wonder God's grace is called amazing. Have you encountered such grace? You need to. You need to. If you can't remember a time when you embraced grace, you need to come to Jesus and you need to know him personally as your savior. You need to be fetched. You need a fetching story that you can share with someone else. Brothers and sisters, so far we've seen how grace has been extended. We've seen how grace has been embraced. Now I want to see, show you how grace is extended, or expanded rather, expanded out. When Mephibosheth comes to David, he didn't get what he deserved. What he received was grace. And when he received grace, he also received more blessing than he ever could have imagined. Grace was expanded. Notice what grace provides to Mephibosheth and what saving grace provides to you and me. First of all, grace provides for Mephibosheth a future. In Lodabar, the place of no pasture, Mephibosheth had nothing. He was poor, he was outcast, he was a fugitive. He had no hope, he had no prospects for the future. But when he met grace in the person of David, everything changed. All of his present needs were met and his future was secured. Grace gave Mephibosheth something he never could have had in Lodabar. Grace gave him a future. Grace gave him the plenty of the king. Grace gave him peace with the king. And this one man's encounter with grace affected his family as well. All of them were delivered from Lodabar and brought into the presence of, king, of the king. Look at verse 12. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. That young son now has the inheritance. His grandfather's lands also belong to him. And he has people to run the place on his behalf. How incredible. And how incredible to think that King David said about Mephibosheth, he's always going to eat at my table. That's amazing to think about. Mephibosheth is always now expected to come and have his meal at the king's table. He has an open invitation. He has access to the king. The same is true for us who've experienced God's saving grace. In Adam, our low debar, we have nothing. We're lost, we're undone, we're headed for hell. We're outcasts, we're fugitives, we're running for our lives from a holy God who possesses the right and has the power to send us into a lost eternity. But when grace is extended and embraced, everything changes. What sin could never give us becomes ours in Jesus. For the first time, we have hope for a future. We had no future, but now we're promised security. We had no home of our own, but now we have a home in heaven. We had no hope, but we're promised that all our needs are going to be met. That's a reality for me as a Christian. We had no one, but now I have the presence of Jesus with me every single day. Do you have that, brothers and sisters? I used to be a nobody, headed nowhere except for hell. But now, by grace, I am a somebody who's headed for heaven. That's what grace gives to everyone who embraces it. No wonder it's called amazing. Grace restores everything that Adam threw away in the Garden of Eden. And grace also provides a family. 
Have a look at verse 11, if you would, for a moment. Ziba says to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Interesting. Mephibosheth, he's adopted into David's family. Grace gives him something that he'd never had before. Grace gives him a brand new family. Every day he lived, Mephibosheth is now reminded by his surroundings and by the presence of the king that he is a recipient of grace. He was where he was because of the grace of King David, who claims him as a son and says, sit at my family table. Grace takes Mephibosheth out of death and brings him into life. When a sinner responds to the call of grace and is saved by God, we are immediately adopted into the family of God. I am a son of God. Can you say the same? I'd like to hear it. Are you a son of God? Yes. A daughter. Okay, fine. Let's not be sexist. Good. Sons and daughters. Children of God. Inclusive language. My apologies. In Adam, we're doomed to die. In Jesus, I'm destined for life. Grace takes us from our low debar, the place of no pasture, and brings us into the family of God. May we never forget what we have and what we are simply by the grace of God. No wonder it's called amazing. And grace provides fulfillment as well. Mephibosheth is now a nobody in a house of somebodies. Imagine the scene for a moment. It's dinner time at the royal palace. The royal family enters the dining hall. They take their places at the king's table. There'll be Absalom. Perfect and handsome. David's other sons would all be there. David's beautiful wives and daughters. Joab the general, strong, proud, seated at the table. There are princes, there are princesses, there are soldiers, there are statesmen, men of wealth, men of degree, men of power. All of them take their place at the table of King David. But wait, as the family gathers... There's the sound of a crippled man coming down the hallway. You can hear the clump of his crutches. You can hear the sound of his feet being dragged. It's Mephibosheth. And he takes his place at the king's table with all the rights and all the privileges of all the rest of them. He takes his seat and the tablecloth falls across his legs. And now he looks just like everybody else. Because of grace, Mephibosheth belonged at the table. Grace took a nobody from nowhere and made him a child of the king. Mephibosheth would never have known joy, happiness, peace, fulfillment, contentment or unconditional love apart from the grace of King David. Mephibosheth knew that he was just a nobody. But when he sat down at the table, he was just like everybody else at that table. That's the power of grace. Do you see it in your mind's eye? Grace takes a person who's lost, who's separated, separated from God, and changes him completely and gives him a seat. Where? At the Lord's table. That's where you and I belong as Christians. Grace takes us from our low debar, the place of drought and no pasture, and makes us one of God's children. Is that an important call that I'm about to receive now? 
Like, he's someone's phone. Jump on it. Grace puts us on even footing, puts us on even footing with all of God's precious saints. Because of grace, I belong where God has placed me. When God fetches you and you embrace his grace and you are saved, God elevates you to a brand new position. Let me tell you something. I am seated in Christ at the right hand of God the Father. Hallelujah. Exactly. That's the position that belongs to us as Christians. That's what the scripture says. I'm in Christ. Yes, so are you. You are not beneath Abraham or Moses or the apostles or any other child of God. You are one of his children. You are seated at his table and his grace has taken care of your past and all of your infirmities. That's the power of grace. No wonder it's called amazing. Have a look at verse 13 though. Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and he was crippled in both feet. Of all the reading, that last sentence gets to me because it is so real. Mephibosheth was still crippled in both feet. He was still a cripple, but he was welcome at the king's table. The same is true of us. Even though we are saved by the grace of God, we are still far less than perfect. Yes? That's true, isn't it? We still need our crutches. We're still a bunch of spiritual cripples and we're still going to do the wrong thing. That's no excuse, by the way. It's just a statement of reality. So even though I still fail God and often prove to him my crippled condition by stumbling and falling, I am still his son. I'm still one of his children. And I'm always welcome at his table. That is grace. Thank God for grace. Thank God for saving you. Thank God for his life-changing grace. That's why it's called amazing. Have you been fetched by grace? Have you got a fetching story? Brothers and sisters, that's the story you need to share. This is how we preach the gospel. We tell people our story. You have a story. And your story is fascinating. That's the story God's given to you to share with other people in this community. Tell them what God's done for you. No one can argue with that. It doesn't matter about their theological viewpoint or whether they're philosophers or whatever. This is your reality. It belongs to you. And in this culture, you're allowed to share your reality. That works. If you're saved by grace, you know what I'm talking about. Do you need to be saved? Well, anyone can come to Jesus at any time. Now's the time to do so. And you can be adopted into the family and it'll change your whole future. If you are saved and you're not walking with the Lord as you should be, well, God sees you. He recognizes you're a blue and cripple. He knows. And he still accepts you. So come back to the table, for goodness sake. Take your place. Let the tablecloth fall across your legs. You look just like everybody else. How good is God? Are you saved and grateful for it? Have you been fetched by grace? Well, why don't you come with me and say, thank you, Lord, because I want to pray. Father, this morning, 
We want to say thank you because we do have a fetching story. There was a day that you called out to us by name and you invited us back into the family. You renewed us on the inside through the working of your spirit. The old is gone, the new has come. You invite us to sit at your table and we know one day we'll sit at the heavenly table and we'll see you, Lord Jesus, face to face. Lord, I want to thank you for your grace that was extended to me. I deserve absolutely nothing. And I still stumble and fall so often. And yet you keep on saying, come back to the table. Come and eat with me. You're part of the family. I love you. And Lord, I want to say to you, thank you. And I love you too. Use my life for your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name.